Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the newest episode of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and along with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about hockey and hockey cards. Our big topic for later this episode is a look at Alexi Lafreniere his cards and how he's doing. It's kind of the midpoint of the NHL season now. So now's a good time as any to see uh, how well the NHL's most highly touted rookie this season is doing and also how his collectibles are doing. We're also going to talk about happenings around the NHL and happenings in the world of collecting. Tim, how the heck are you, man? I'm I'm all right. I'm, I'm doing well. Still surviving. Anyway, uh, I want to talk to you. I want to talk about some of the things that have happened uh, in the NHL. I think one thing we'll start with uh, kind of an interesting milestone. So Keith Yandel of the uh, Florida Panthers, he recently played his 1000th game, but he also has an Ironman streak now extending to 890 games. He recently surpassed Steve Larmer, who had 884 consecutive games all with the Blackhawks, I might add. Yandel is now third on that list with 890 games and counting. He is third only behind Doug Jarvis, who is first on the list with 964 games, and Gary Unger, who is second on that list with 914 games. So there's a very good chance that Yandel can surpass Unger this season to become second all-time on the list. And if all goes well there's a chance that he could pass Jarvis next season, you know, assuming that the NHL has a season next year and that, uh, you know, they have an 82-game schedule and that Yandel plays, you know, in every game. So if, if, and if, then it'll happen. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, though, to see that list. And, you you know, people think casual hockey fans would look at this list and they'd be like, who are these people on here? Because – you know, generally these aren't your superstars, right? You don't get Ironman streaks from your superstars because your superstars are out there on the ice playing a lot of the ice time, um, you know, out there scoring goals, out there putting points up. They're in the spotlight. You know, injuries happen, and you end up, you know, getting knocked out of a line, lineup on occasion. And the fact that you have somebody like Keith Yandel, a defenseman, mind you, that's you know, pounded out that many games in a row, you know, reaching a thousand games, that's, that's a feat. I mean, playing in one NHL game is a feat playing in a thousand NHL games. That's kind of crazy. I myself never would have guessed that the two people ahead of him were Doug Jarvis and Gary Unger. Like those are two names that aren't in the everyday vernacular of hockey jargon, I guess. And, you know, going down that list, I mean, the only the only people that could possibly even touch Yans at this point would be Patrick Marlowe and Phil Kessel. Right. Yeah, so. they're pretty close to him. Marlowe with 876 consecutive games and uh, Kessel with 868 consecutive games. Now, one thing I want to mention about Steve Larmer, because he had 884 consecutive games. And I know you say it's normally not like a superstar player. And I know that. Larmer is not considered by, you know, many as a superstar. Of course, those in Chicago will remember him as our top line right winger, you know, played 
many seasons with Dennis Savard, and then he played uh, on a line with Jeremy Roenick, and then he later played on a line with Mark Messier when he was in New York. And it was funny because somebody brought that up and said, well, you've skated with three Hall of Fame centers. And Larmer just smiled and said something along the lines of, well, what can I say? I just made them as good as they were. Like, he was kidding. It was at a Blackhawk convention because Larmer's just like a quiet, understated kind of guy. So the fact that he said that had the audience rolling. The reason why Larmer didn't beat Gary Unger's record is because he requested a trade over the summer and the Blackhawks basically did nothing about it. They waited until the season was about a week old and then they traded him to the Rangers. So, of course, they could have traded him before then because he was a good player still producing at a high level, you know, enough that he was a key component of the Rangers' 1994 Stanley Cup championship. But the Blackhawks kind of were a little spiteful to him. And, uh, you know, they sat on him a little longer than they needed to just to make sure that he didn't continue that streak. Just a little bit of trivia there for you folks. Well, that's just one of those typical things. You, you you feel like you don't want to play here anymore? Well, you're now persona non grata. We're going to treat you like garbage. So thanks that he gets for, you know, playing with the team from 82-83 to 92-93 and being their leading scorer at least one of those years uh, in uh, 89-90. Yeah, because um, I Who remember his still running the team at that point? Uh, you know... Is that the old man? It was after Mike Keenan had left because he was fired early in 92-93. So it had to be... Um, it had to be uh, Pulford again. I mean, as far as, like, ownership, who was still in charge? Bill Wirtz was still Wirtz owning the still? team, and, and Bob Pulford was general manager. And even when Bob Pulford wasn't the general manager, he still had a lot of pull with yeah. the owner and kind of was still running the team, even if he wasn't. But, yeah, so Yandel um, hitting that 1,000-game point of his career and then, you know, moving to third all-time in the Ironman streak. That's pretty cool. So uh, here's how, an interesting uh, thing. I looked up. Uh, yeah. I checked. I checked Beckett just to see how many cards he has because Yans isn't one that you always hear. Oh, I'm a Keith Yandel super collector. You don't hear that very often. I'm sure there's plenty of them out there, but uh, you don't really hear that. So ironically enough, he he hit his 890 mark. According to Beckett, he only has 892 cards. Whoa! Yeah, he can collect so, one card for every game he's played or is about consecutive to play. played. Yeah, one, one for every consecutive Iron Man game. I thought that was kind of interesting, and because his rookie cards were pretty much oh six oh seven is when his rookie cards were in different releases. So uh -huh. he's got about seventeen rookie cards, but most of all of his cards are somewhat serial numbered. I mean, I would say two-thirds of them have some the type of serial cards. number or a rookie card or autograph or a piece of memorabilia that takes up the vast majority of it so that kind of tells you he doesn't have a lot of base cards he has more other than just does he have cards. a young gun that's a good question he's well, got a black he's got a black diamond mm -hmm. rookie card um he has a beehive he has a hot prospects and an Opeachy. I uh, I mean I'll tell you this like I've always found it annoying when you had players who only had rookie cards in those sets that were numbered like 
be a player of the late 2008, 2009, like somewhere around there. And like Black Diamond, not numbered, but still hard to come by, you know, when you're talking about like one per box or even like obviously the cup. So, um, or ice, you know, all of those like numbered type of cards, you know, I, I guess if he has an OPG card, that's cool. Cause anybody can find an OPG card. I think for most of us collectors, uh, the young gun is always the go-to. Yeah. Um, he's got, he's got a cup RPA mm. and he does have a young gun. Mm. Those six, what, what, 06, 06, 07. Yeah. Was he, what, do you know what the number just off the top here is? Just 485. Okay, so he's in series he's two. In I'm going to have to, two. I'm going to have to go through my cards because I remember 0607 was the year that I bought a case of series two. I pulled three of Genny Malkin young gun cards and I was ecstatic about that because that was the one that I wanted. And I got three of them in a case, which was nice instead of zero of them in a case, which would be my normal luck. If Alexi Lafreniere is anything to be, you know, uh, or or Connor McDavid, all those years I bought those, those, you know, 15, 16, but when I bought, tried to get McDavid, yeah, I might have some Yandles. I remember like the the two young guns I got a ton of that year. I kept getting Paul Stastny and I kept getting Evgeny Malkin. Well, not kept getting, I bought a case and I got three of them in that case. But series one, I kept buying series one and I kept getting Paul Stastny. And I was just like, oh, okay. I hope he turns out good. And he turned out good, but not as not good enough that I'm ecstatic about having like three or four extra Paul Stastny rookie cards. If anybody needs a Paul Stastny young gun, you know who to ask. Like I said, since this was that that period, you know, 06, 07, he's got one. Yandel has one in every pretty much every set that came out. So he's got 17 rookie cards that you can go after. So those of you that have, I know there's plenty of you out there that have collections like that, that are, you know, a thousand guys that hit thousand game collections and that kind of thing. You got another one to add and 17 more rookie cards to chase. So there you go. Well, all right. We just spent the first 10 minutes of the show talking about Keith Yandel. So yeah, you're not going to get this kind of coverage anywhere. Yeah. So I want to, <laughs> turn our attention now to a more somber note uh, on the passing of Walter Gretzky, who passed away March 4th at age of 82. As most of you all probably know, Walter Gretzky is the father of Wayne Gretzky. Uh, He was known, obviously, in hockey circles and for being, you know, Wayne's dad, Wayne's first coach, his advisor, his confidant, and even biographer, because Gretzky's first biography from 1984 was co-written by a journalist and Walter Gretzky. Also, I just want to note that uh, Walter did play junior hockey in the mid to late 1950s. And then uh, he actually does appear on a few hockey cards. He appears on a 98-99 McDonald's Upper Deck Gretzky's teammate card. And also on a 2014-15 SP Authentic card he's pictured with Wayne Gretzky. So obviously very sad that he passed away. I mean, he's been referred to in a lot of the shows. They've been calling him Canada's hockey dad or everybody's hockey dad. And they've been telling stories about how people would visit the house where, you know, they'd go and they'd want to see the outdoor rink, you know, and they would like stop and, and they'd look and then Walter Gretzky would see him in the window and be like, Oh, come in, come in, come in, you know, and, 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 and have him come in and, and, have coffee with them and stuff. And I mean, Keith Jones talked about 
just going by that house just to see it and Walter Gretzky seeing him and in, in, inviting him in, you know, before he was an NHL player. And you hear stories about that. And even like, well, that's um, the crazy part about it. He was just, I mean, no one, no one has a bad or negative thing to say about him ever. And the fact that he was so welcoming and would open his home to pretty much anybody. I mean, he basically had a shrine to Wayne in the house and you know there's all kinds of stories and i've seen pictures posted since of you know people taking their kids there and he's just like have at it it's like giving them jerseys like to put on and all kinds of stuff and it's just like it's crazy it's absolutely crazy how kind and generous he was of of everything and and you know he touched a lot of people's lives and was a part of you know the nhl community for so many years that uh it's you know, he may know he may have never played, but he's got the same same kind of impact as, you know, even some of the greats that have passed. So, you know, and as the saying goes, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And if you think about just how kind and classy Wayne Gretzky comes off as and has always come off as and is always just as a general rule, the general consensus is that. Gretzky's a class act and he's nice and I mean a lot of that has to come with the way he was raised by his mother and his father I mean you know they oh guaranteed and I'm, I'm gonna botch the quote because I wasn't able to dig out the book and I w- didn't have a chance to reread it and maybe it wasn't even in that particular Gretzky book but I do remember that you know Walter Gretzky was always very like on Wayne about like signing autographs not like on like angry just like you know just said you know to do a good job you know this means a lot to people when they get your autograph and that's just how it was I mean you you hear stories about how like Wayne would come home for the summer and his dad would have like all the cards lined up for him to sign and then like you know like he'd have like things for for Wayne to sign and then his dad would handle like putting the cards back in the envelopes and then sending them back to the people. Or like if they wrote asking for a photo, he'd have like Wayne sign a bunch of photos so that he could send them to people. And I mean, this was back in the 80s when like Gretzky was a hockey god, but not really known in the United States and would have only been popular really north of the border and with, you know, diehards who knew what hockey was. I mean, if you think about the popularity of hockey in like the 1980s versus the 1990s versus the 2000s, you know? So, yeah, I mean, a lot of that, he just, you know, he was just a part of just helping Wayne, like, be in touch with fans when he could like that. Well, and I don't, I don't remember if it made it to the show, but the last show that when we were talking to Billy Celio from Upper Deck, um, one of the conversations we had was about, um, you know, the memorabilia and the signer exclusive signers and things like that, that, that upper deck has. And the fact that they've had Wayne Gretzky as one of their, um, spokespeople for as, as many years as they have. Number one is a huge feat. Um, you know, and obviously they have Michael Jordan and LeBron James and they have many, you know, many athletes that mm-hmm. are exclusive to them, Tiger Woods and so on and so forth. But he, he you know, he said, you know, there's a lot of these guys that they know what their contract is and they sign for us and they sign everything and that's what they do. Other guys like Wayne Gretzky, for instance, 
we're not going to tell Wayne Gretzky don't sign an autograph for a fan. And, you know, they would never ask him to, nor is he going to do that. And, you know, I don't know if you saw any of the funeral or not, but Wayne told a story, kind of what you were just saying about him going and playing golf uh, with his dad and his brother. And, you know, he would do these, you know, whatever. And he was just going to play golf. And sure enough, his dad pulls out just all these golf balls, just bags of golf balls and has them all laid out. And Wayne had to sign every single one of them and autograph like all of these golf balls. And, you know, of course he, he did it. So it's, it's just, yeah. I can't think of a more uncomfortable thing to sign than a golf ball because they're small, they're round and they're bumpy. Like at least a puck is flat, but like a golf ball. Oh my God. Yeah. But I mean, that was the same thing. He was telling a story about that. So no doubt, I'm sure he did everything with the cards and memorabilia and who knows what else. So here, sign this here, sign this. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it was a shame, but, uh, yeah. Circle of life kind of thing. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it other than other than that. So. Yeah, you're sorry to, to hear him pass on. Another uh, another hockey personality who passed away recently is Mark Pavlich, who was a member of the 1980 Miracle on Ice Team USA team. He played in the NHL with the Rangers, the North Stars, and the Sharks, the New York Rangers, the Minnesota North Stars, the San Jose Sharks. What was interesting is that he didn't get his start in the NHL uh, right after the Miracle on Ice, like a lot of guys did, like Ken Morrow did, or like Mark Johnson did, you know, they or Jim Craig. They made the jump from the Miracle on Ice team, and then they, they went to the NHL right away. Pavlich did not get into the NHL until Herb Brooks became the coach of the New York Rangers, and then he was able to talk him into you know, or get not talk him into playing, but, you know, get him to play. And he played, um, you know, a number of years with the Rangers. I think it was like five years with the Rangers. Uh, he had a five-goal game against the Hartford Whalers uh, one season. There's actually no peachy highlight card about that. And then, of course, uh, not of course, but a, a, a little-known tidbit, which I thought was really interesting, is that he came out of retirement in 91-92. He hadn't played for a number of years and then he came out of retirement in 91, 92. He played two games with the Sharks. And he assisted on the first goal in franchise history, which was scored by Craig Cox. Pavlich had one of the assists on that goal. Uh, he retired He retired again after two games. I don't know why. I couldn't find that out. But I just thought that was kind of interesting. Like, wow, a, a miracle on ice player actually played for the sharks. I, I was surprised when I read that. I'm like, whoa, I need to know more about this. And he had how many points for them? Oh, with the sharks? Yeah. He had one point in two games, which isn't bad. That's he had a point. Okay. He had an assist in the first game. He didn't have any points in the second game. And then after that, he didn't play after that. And I don't know why. Oh, and I'll just say really quick, and he was the one who assisted on Mike Ruzioni's game winning goal against the Soviets in the Miracle on Ice game. So he assisted on the first goal in Sharks franchise history, and he assisted on the most important goal in Team USA hockey history. Well, as sad as the Gretzky passing was, 
This was interesting. See, it, um, I mean, obviously, unless you know Team USA and you know the Miracle on Ice team, you know, hearing that name, Mark Pavlich, to a casual hockey fan, they're probably going to be like, who? I don't know who that is. I've never heard of that guy, this, that, and the other. But here's the thing. If you haven't heard of him before, I think you're going to hear his name a lot more often. And part of that reason is kind of the history and the path that he went down um, later on. It's no secret in the realms of the people that knew him that he was battling some issues with mental health. And, I mean, that's pretty much where they found him. He passed away at a mental health treatment facility up in Minnesota. And a lot of people are pointing towards CTE. That's kind of a hot button issue in any sport, you know, with the head injuries that players take um, playing contact sports, not to segue it into another conversation, but I mean, we just had a seven game suspension dealt out to trash can Wilson just because of a perceived headshot. Now I will admit, I don't think he was necessarily targeting the head, but what ended up happening is, player's head gets smashed into the glass um, from a boarding call that wasn't made. I mean, it was clear boarding, but that's the kind of thing that happens. And this has happened for many years. That kind of play in hockey history would have been just a routine hockey play for a million years, but not until the last probably, I'd even say five years was that something. And that's because of the focus on injuries and head injuries. And so many guys, you know, how many games has Crosby missed in his career because of concussions? You know, you think about this man games lost due to, you know, head type injuries and concussions due to that. And then go into the whole other aspect of what happens afterward. You know, you're dealing with these injuries and you're dealing with this brain trauma that, you know, may not affect lots of people, but there are some that it does. And this has been kind of a controversial thing, and it's probably going to take center stage again. He ran into all sorts of, you know, legal trouble and, and stuff like that for a while. I mean, what, like a year or two ago, he was charged with like a, a assault charge because he beat up his neighbor or something like that. We're right. talking about Pat here. Right, um, yes. And, you know, they said that, he had too much of a mental illness to even stand stand trial in that whole thing. So the CTE thing's not going away. I mean, if you have contact sports and you have guys getting, getting brain injuries and getting hit in the head, it's not going to go away. Whether it's boxing, whether it's football, whether it's hockey, it's just not going away. So the stuff like this that happens is going to shed an even bigger light on the things. And here... Here's the other thing, too. I don't know if you read a lot of, you know, what gets written from different sources and stuff like that from a hockey standpoint. But after this happened and after it was announced, Barry Beck posted on Facebook this, like, 100-page screen rant about, you know, Mark's death and he basically blamed the entire Rangers organization on, on the whole entire thing and basically said, it's John Davidson's fault. It's the Rangers fault, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And John Davidson Beck, 
Pavlik, they all played together on the Rangers. They were all teammates. And he was pretty critical uh, of everything he said. And maybe some of it wasn't fair. Maybe some of it was. I don't know. But apparently, you know, Davidson, like, kind of reached out to him after, and they've kind of spoke their piece together between the two of them. And they're like, look, this isn't about us. We can deal our our crap later, you know? But again, it's that thing. It pisses people off because not only are guys getting hurt and having their careers cut short, but guys are losing their friends and family because of these kinds of things. So I, I think... I don't want to say it's going to take more than this to, to bring this, you know, bring this more to light. But I think this particular case is interesting because of everything that happened after the fact. You know, like you said, here's a guy that was on one of the most famous teams of all time playing all the way up until the Sharks became a team. So, I mean, he had a long career and was seemingly no issue, right? And then all well, of a sudden, he, he, the years later, it's just all this stuff that seemed uncharacteristic, I guess. Right. I mean, he did have a few years off between his, after playing for the Rangers and the North Stars. He played in Europe a season. He retired a couple seasons later. He played two games for the Sharks, and then he retired again. So, I, I again, I don't know the cause of that, uh, the, the reason behind his retirement. But, yeah, I mean, you're going to see more and more of this come out. I mean... The example that I like to give, because, you know, players are bigger and stronger and faster now, they hit harder. I mean, I, of course. look, he, he played in the 80s, and the players were smaller, but they still hit hard back then. But, I mean, if you go back 100 years when hockey first, you know, became a professional sport, the players were smaller. They didn't skate as fast. They didn't have the same type of equipment. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a different game. It was the same game. It was the same league, but it was a different game. The example I like to throw out is when I was 10 years old, me and my friends, we play fumble rumble where you pick up the football and you try from, to run from one end to the other and everybody else tries to tackle you, right? And when you're 10 years old, it's hilarious because what are you, like 40 or 50 pounds? You don't hit that hard. You don't run that fast. I mean, you could be a fast 10-year-old, but you get my point, right? Now, right. if like me and my friends from childhood, if we all got together and played fumble rumble now in our 40s, we'd kill each other. Not because we're athletically gifted, but just because we're bigger people. We're bigger people. And if I tackle my friend, you know, my best friend from childhood, if I tackled him now, and he's a big dude, it could probably hurt him, even though, you know, just because I'm a bigger guy. You know what I mean? It's just, so it's kind of like the standards that you had 100 years ago when people were like five foot six and maybe 140 pounds. Well, right. now they're six foot six and 240 pounds. And so, yeah, you have to re-examine what is acceptable now versus what was acceptable 100 years ago as far as playing the game of hockey. And, I mean, this is back, you know, 100 years ago. This is back when you would settle your differences with somebody by asking them to step outside and you'd beat the snot out of each other, right? Now that's not acceptable in today's society, and it's maybe not acceptable in hockey i'm not even talking about fighting i'm just talking about like having to run into guys i'm not against checking but after reading ken dryden's book game change i'm against hits to the head and that's really just what they have to do you just take out all hitting to the head and if the player doesn't have the puck you can't hit him and that's it that's that's how it should be no puck no hit 
the end. Well, well, and in that that play, like to bring up the Tom Wilson play again, he came in and the puck was still there. And as he was coming in, the puck was gone. So there was it was a split second and everybody uses the cliche term bang, bang play. Well, yeah, every play in hockey is a bang, bang play because the, the game moves at 150 miles an hour. So stuff like that happens. But just the sheer fact that he had it in his head, like, I'm going to destroy this guy. I mean, he had intent. His intent wasn't to take the guy off the puck. His intent was to inflict pain on this guy. Right. So whether he was targeting the head or not, that's simply a boarding call. You know, and there's the unwritten, well, maybe it is written, but, you know, you see a guy's numbers or you see his name on his jersey, you don't hit him. Right. If you if you can read his name, don't hit him. If, if he can't see you, you can't hit him. You know, that's the kind of thing. Like the open ice hits that happen all the time. Yeah, they're exciting and crazy to watch, but not for the guy that's involved. And most of the time, not for the guy doing the hitting either. Because a lot of times they get hurt too. So, you know, and these are these non-intentional things that I don't, I don't know that there's any player in the league that goes out there specifically to headhunt and kill people. I really don't think there's anybody like that. At least I don't want to think there's anybody like that. Are there? I don't know. I don't think so. But, you know, the days of the days of that kind of play are, are, are long over. And, you know, they keep trying to emphasize taking that out of the game, taking that out of the game to, you know, not to make the game sissified or, you know, all the players need to be wearing skirts and all that kind of stuff that everybody says all the time. That's not what it's for. It's for protection, not just now and in the game to protect the players and to protect their assets, their money making things. But later on, so you don't have things like this happen where players get so much traumatic brain injuries that they just deteriorate way faster than than they should and still and, be around for, for much longer. So, And speaking of much longer, and I know you're not a Flyers fan by any stretch of the imagination. I love the Flyers. They're my favorite. But I will say this. I would have gladly traded in that awesome-looking hit that Scott Stevens did on Eric Lindros for another five good seasons for Eric Lindros. In other words, I would have liked to have seen him have five more good years with the Flyers or with whatever team than that one highlight reel hit. Because really, after that hit, Lindros's career went down from there. He no still doubt. Had, huh? I said no doubt. Yeah, I mean, he still had productive seasons because the guy was a superstar. So even like an 80% season for someone like him or someone like a Mario Lemieux is still exceptional. But it just wasn't the same after that. It was very up and down, up and down. And um, I would have liked to have just seen him play 20 awesome seasons instead of, you know, retiring after 06, 07, right? Like... I felt like his career could have been long, like someone like a Steve Eiserman who played 22 seasons. You know, why not, right? I just, I still think about that when people talk about like awesome hits. And then I think of that Scott Stevens hit, which everybody's like, oh, such an awesome hit. I mean, today it would be questionable or it's borderline. Or, But I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I'd exchange that one hit for five more good seasons for that player that got hit. All the hockey purists, as I call them, that complain that, oh, this isn't the hockey, that this isn't real hockey. Yes, it is. This is what the game is. And if you don't like the game the way it is, then 
pull out your VHS tapes and watch your old videos and reminisce about how hockey used to be because that's not how it is anymore, and that's not how it's going to be continuing going forward. Do I like to see fighting? Sure. Do I like to see big hits? Yes, of course I do. Do I like to see players get go down and get hurt and have their careers pretty much cut short? No. Because like I said, or like you just said, would it have been nice to see Lindros play longer? Sure. Of course it would have. I mean, it'd be nice to see lots of players be able to play longer, but, you know, times have changed and things aren't acceptable anymore. Just like that game that you said you played with your friends. I played that game too, only we called it something else, which is no longer an acceptable term either. Okay, and then I won't ask. <laughs> I was going to say, we, what do they call fumble rumble in the Berg? But we, call, uh, we called it smear the other word that rhymes with smear. Oh, dear. Smear the, <laughs> smear the oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so see, what was what was fine then is not fine now. So that's just the way it is. And I know that, you know, we spend a ton of time talking about weird topics, you know, right off the bat. But these, I mean, these are important things. So another career that was perhaps cut a little bit short due to injury, but he still had an amazing career. Brent Seabrook, Chicago Blackhawks. Defenseman on the Blackhawks for 15 seasons. Uh, All 15 with the Blackhawks. He was the alternate captain the last couple of seasons, or one of the alternate captains. He's third on the Blackhawks with 1,114 regular season games. And here's an interesting little tidbit since we're talking about 1,000th games. Seabrook's 1,000th game, it was Colin Delia's first game, goaltender Colin Delia, and it was the game where Scott Foster came in as an emergency backup goaltender. So a lot happened in Seabrook's 1,000th game, and the Blackhawks also won, but it was his 1,000th game, uh, it was Colin Delia's first game, and it was Scott Foster's first game as he was brought in as the uh, the e-bug that game. Seabrook retired. He had um, some surgery in the offseason. His right shoulder, his right hip, his left hip. And when I heard that he was getting three surgeries all in a row like that, I'm like, oh, he's done. One surgery, you'll go, okay, they come back and eh, maybe a shoulder. I would take my chances with my shoulder before my knee because knees are funny things. But when you go a shoulder and a hip and the other hip, you're like, oh boy. Talk about not having a good leg to stand on at that point. So he retired. He wasn't cleared to play by the doctor. He just, his right hip was not going to let him do what he needed to do. Uh, another That's interesting... not even why he didn't come back, though. He didn't tell. come back because he had a back he had a back thing happen, too. So, like, he was ready to come back until his, like, back, something happened with his back, and then he was out, and then something went haywire with the hip surgery. So it was, like, one thing after another. Well, it just shows. I mean, he was a, he was a physical defenseman. I mean, I remember it was maybe their rookie season, Duncan Keith, Brett Seabrook, and they were paired together for, according to NHL.com, 1,069 regular season games, most of any NHL defense pairing. So those two playing together as a pair. Now That's crazy. In, in the in salary cap era and everything else, that's crazy. But I remember, I think it was their rookie season, and uh, somebody leveled Keith, and Seabrook went after him, and he, he he fought the guy, and it was just basically like, hey, that's my D partner, you know what I mean? Like you don't you don't mess with him, right? Because I mean, Keith was the Norris Trophy winning defenseman, and Seabrook was the muscle. I mean, together they were a uh, a great pair. Uh, I mean, even so far as 
when Team Canada selected its 2010 Olympic team, and Duncan Keith was put on that team, they also brought on Brent Seabrook to be his partner. It's like they were that effective as a pair. Now, I'm a homer. I like the Blackhawks. Of course, everything. It's like the Sedins. You can't break them up or they cease to have any more power. Now, I wanted to ask you, just you being not necessarily a Blackhawk fan, was there a better pair of defensemen in the NHL from, let's say, 08-09 to 14-15? Like right before the Blackhawks dynasty to right at the end after the third cup. Like from, I don't... from 08, 09, no. I mean, you can go team by team and pick out their star defensemen, but nine times out of ten, they don't get stuck on a defensive pairing with the same guy year in and year out every year. Because like I said, playing in that many games together as a defensive pairing in the salary cap era where guys get their contracts dished off to some other team to fit under a cap, I mean, that's a normal thing. So the fact that somebody beyond team... And look, Seabrook gets any Chicago area person that follows hockey knows that all Seabrook has gotten over the last five, six years has been, we're paying him $55 million for nothing. He's got no production. We're paying him 55... This is the worst contract in hockey. This that So that's what he gets known for. But again, that's the thing. It's like... Here's your firepower. Here's your muscle. So you got to have both, and they both kind of complement each other. But no, I can't think of any defensive pairing like that 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 has that type of longevity or or anything really. You might look and say one season, you know, oh, uh, uh, Drew Doughty or Chris Letang or Shea Weber, right? Like as maybe being like the best defenseman. Yeah, you can always season. pick out your Norris candidates each and every year, but. Do they have a compliment on the other side of the ice with them? No, not really. Most of those second guys, second guys, and I put that in quotes, become the the interchangeable piece. Right, but those two were inseparable, and they were so effective together, and that's why they were inseparable, and that's why they were even inseparable in the Olympics when Canada won gold that year. And, I mean, those two were a big part of the team couple things interesting about Seabrook. I mean, for a defenseman, I mean, he scored some clutch overtime goals for the Blackhawks. Uh, I want to talk about what I remember as being his most famous moment, his most famous series. It was that uh, 2013 Western Conference Finals against the Detroit Red Wings. So it's game four. It's in Detroit. The Blackhawks are losing the game. This is game four. So they're losing the game. Uh, Jonathan Taves takes three penalties in a row. In fact, he keeps coming out of the box and getting sent back to the box. He didn't even go to the bench. He went from the penalty box back to the ice, back to the penalty box, back to the ice, back to the penalty box. And he's having a meltdown in the penalty box. And Brent Seabrook goes in the penalty box with him and gives him a pat on the head. And he just, he like calms him down and like reassures him. I believe he also, according to what I read, that he kind of gave him a little bit of a pep talk and said, look, we need you to be our leader. We need you to be our scorer. You know what I mean? Like, like keep it together, Captain. This is what we need from you, right? Now, the Blackhawks lost that game, and then they were down 3-1 to one in the series, but they came back, and then they won the next three games, including Game 7, which went to overtime. I was going to say, you better, be, you better be bringing up the overtime goal. Yep, with an overtime goal by Brent Seabrook. So, I mean, 
he basically calms down Taves, gets him to focus. And like I said, the team lost that game, but it's kind of like they lost that game. And even though they were down three to one at that point, they weren't out of the series, right? Like you can lose a game, but then you know what you need to do the next game. And then that's what the Blackhawks did the next three games in route to beating the Red Wings and then winning the Stanley Cup. So he had an OT winner against the Bruins as well, Brent Seabrook. You know, he scored a lot of clutch goals. He was a leader even when he didn't have an A on his sweater. It made me mad that fans of the team, and not this is where I use the deprecating quotes, because you don't know how many times I've seen on Facebook or on Twitter or had conversations with people where they would say, well, what the team needs to do is get Brent Seabrook to waive his no trade clause so that he could go to another team and that would open up cap space. And it's like, well, first of all, why do you think he wants to play on another team? Maybe he's happy playing here. Maybe he's making a lot of money to play for his favorite team. No, he's not the same guy that he was in 2010 or 2013. And that's too bad because for every player like a Steve Eiserman or like a Ray Bork or like a, um, well, maybe not Mario Lemieux because he had injuries, but for like every player who can age gracefully and play into their 40s, then you have players who have a drop-off sometimes. With Seabrook, I mean, the drop-off had to be because of the injuries that he had. But it really upset me that, like, you know, when people say, well, they need to get rid of Jonathan Taves, it's like maybe Taves doesn't want to go anywhere. And also, another thing, me being a, a Blackhawk fan for over 30 years, maybe I'm tired of seeing my heroes retire on other teams. I got to see Doug Wilson retire with the Sharks. At least Dennis Savard came back with the Blackhawks, and then you had Troy Murray. He went to the Avalanche, and then you had Steve Larmer go to the Rangers. So, like, a lot of the guys that I grew up watching, oh, and then Ed Belfour and Jeremy Roenick, you get the idea, right? Like, I've seen my heroes retire on other teams, and I like the fact that the Chicago Blackhawks have been committed to their core of Keith Seabrook, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves and saying we want these guys to retire as a member of the Blackhawks and that's what Seabrook did I'm not happy that he retired because of injuries but I am happy that he retired as a member of the Blackhawks yeah doesn't happen often that one player plays for the same team I was gonna say it just goes back to that salary cap thing and what you were just saying is what I'm saying everybody that's in the Chicago area knows that the media jumps all over that contract that he signed. I mean, if somebody offers you $55 million, what are you going to do? Not sign the contract? Yeah. You're 30 years old. You don't have much time left. The clock is ticking. You know what the lifespan is of an NHL player. So if somebody says, here's 55 million, 30 year old, I'm going to sign it too. <laughs> I mean, what the heck? But, hang on though. But a 30 year old defenseman is in prime years. Your, your, your best defensemen tend to be a little older and your best forwards tend to be a little younger. So like if your forward, you know, under 30 is really the prime years. And if you're a defenseman, I'd say 25 to 35 is, I mean, there's going to be. You've played hockey. Well, he was great at 18, right? Yeah, I get it. But yeah, but you've played hockey your entire life since you were probably four or five years old. When you hit 30, I don't care if that's supposed to be the prime of your life or not. That's the tipping point. You're going to start to feel it after games. You're going to start to take a little bit longer to recover. And, you know, like you said, he had some injuries. 
Okay. Did he have those injuries when he signed that contract? I don't know, but really, I don't care. Here, let me ask you this. Hall of Famer or not? Seabrook? Yes. No. But I'd make the argument that the Blackhawks should retire his number. Really? That's where I see him. No, he's, he hasn't won an individual award. He was a big part of the team. You know, he's a gold medalist. But when you think of a Hall of Famer, I would not put him in that conversation. With no disrespect. Fair. No, Keith, I don't think it is disrespect. Duncan Keith, yes. I think Keith, especially if he plays a four, few more years and, uh, you know, at, at, a, at a high level or relatively high level, because he has the individual accomplishments, he has the team accomplishments, he has the international accomplishments. Seabrook, I kind of look at him kind of like someone like Ken Danico, right? Like Danico played a ton of years on one team, the New Jersey Devils, and they retired his number. And because he was such an important part of that team. And that's how I see Seabrook. He was such an important part of the Blackhawks during the three championships and third all-time in games played. I mean, when I think of number seven, I used to think of Chris Chelios. But now I kind of think of Brent Seabrook because he's had that number for so darn long. Yeah. He's got his young gun card. He's wearing seven, so which was 0506, by the way, in case anybody wants to track that one down. It's one of those forgotten ones because everybody, 0506, I mean, Ovechkin, Crosby, Lundquist. A lot of great players in there that people forget they were in that set. Double rookie class. So, Yeah, it was a hell of a year for hockey cards. So how about those Calgary Flames? That's... That who right when I saw when I saw the headline a couple days ago, Calgary fires Jeff Ward, hires Daryl Sutter, and I was just like, the first thing I said was why, like why? I get it. Sutter's a good coach. He coached the LA Kings to two Stanley Cup championships. I think that the only two times he smiled in his life was when they won those two Stanley Cups. And, um, you know, it's like, I think after the first one, the caption should say, like, Daryl Sutter tried smiling once. He liked it, so they won another cup, and then he smiled a second time, right? I think back to, like, team photos where he has just a serious look on his face when he was the captain of the Blackhawks. I just, I get it. The, The Flames want to fix things now. They think they're a playoff team. They think they can win now. They got to make the playoffs. They need somebody who could whip them into shape for them to make the playoffs because this is not a rebuilding year. This is not a coach grows with the team kind of year or the team grows with the coach kind of the year. This is where we bring in somebody who's going to get us into the playoffs. I'm just tired of like the same guys like Blake Isaac in his Blake's Take column this week. He wrote about how the NHL just seems to go back to mainly the same 15 guys. They just change teams or 15, 20 guys. And then you get a new guy every now and then that comes in, like a Jeremy Colleton on the Blackhawks. And I know he's been with the team now for a couple of years, but he is a new guy. I mean, talk about 0506. I mean, Jeremy Colleton has an 0506 rookie patch auto, the cup rookie card. So he is a relatively young guy speaking, right? Like, but for every guy like him, you know, they kind of go back to like, oh, let's bring in John Tortorella. Let's bring in Peter LaViolette, who, by the way, I, I love both of those coaches. But you get my point. Hey, you know what? Let's let's find Mike Keenan and see what he's doing. 
I'm sure he's available if he's not coaching in China. <sighs> On the recycling coaches thing, yeah, I get it. You want to see somebody else get a shot and get an opportunity, but I think what comes back is the old tried and true thing. They know what works. And the Calgary Flames have been lacking a lot of things. One of them has been just consistency. And what's the, what are you going to get with Sutter? You're going to get consistency. The guy expects a lot and he demands a lot. And if he doesn't get it, there's consequences for it. He's one guy, right? And he may not be the most entertaining guy and the the most vocal and, and express his opinions that kind of way to the media. But he's also a guy that he's kind of like a player's coach and he understands how to get guys to work. And that's really what this team needs because of the fact that they're just playing like a bunch of individuals and not like a team. I think it's going to be a huge wake-up call for some of those guys on that team. I mean, Lucic, I think, is probably the only one left on there that knows what Sutter's all about. So, I mean, he knows what's coming. The rest of them, they're about ready to find out. Have you seen on the NHL Network and on NBCSN, have you seen the Upper Deck EPAC commercial? Uh, it's on constantly, so yes. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of kind of cool to see hockey cards get a commercial Although it's a little misleading because, like, I know when they say, get a free pack every day. And as they're saying that, they're showing you, like, a card with, like, a signature and, like, a piece of a jersey on it. And I'm just like, yeah, that's not the card you're getting in the pack. In fact, the cards that you're getting in the pack are just pictures. You can't even combine them or really do anything with them. They're, like, the purple variants or whatever. But uh, it is cool to see hockey cards get a commercial. I remember the 91-92 Upper Deck set had its own commercial, which was kind of cool. Well, and the other thing, too, is Upper Deck has, for the last season and for this season, they sponsor the Unwrap segment that's on NHL Network during the in-studio portion of the shows. You know, when they're doing the, like, NHL Tonight, when that's on, and you've got the guys in the studio in between periods or before the game or after the game talking about stuff. They have the unwrap segment where they're talking about different aspects of the game and the matchup of the, the teams that you're watching. And Upper Deck sponsors it and gives them packs of cards to open and stuff like that on the air, which is kind of cool. So it brings, you know, it brings a little more attention to, to what goes on there. And it's funny because sometimes the guys pull out stuff and they're, you know, have lots of comments and things to make about the cards that they're pulling. So it's kind of neat. And when do they show that? Is it every day or just certain days? Um, like I said, it's usually on NHL Tonight. Hmm. So if you watch the NHL Tonight episodes that are usually going on while the games are going on and they do like the live look-ins and the games and everything and the analysis, it's called Unwrapped and it's just a segment that, that fills in. And like I said, they'll, they'll talk about, they'll be talking about some aspect of the game and they'll open up a pack and you know here's the guy they're talking about and then they'll put stats up and do all that kind of so it's kind of neat and of course they'll have products sitting on the counter so you can kind of see it and it's usually like a wax or not like a hobby box of series one and then a couple retail boxes which you won't find in retail but you'll find on the desk on nhl tonight that's kind of cool if you can't find hockey cards it's because they sent them all to weeksy and rup yeah. Jameson Coyle is opening them all on the air as we speak. So um, 
some uh, some new cards that have come out over the past couple of weeks. So I want to just talk uh, real quick about a few of these. So tops now NHL hockey stickers. So week six had a print run of 565 packs, which is up a bit from week five, which had 491 packs. Then week seven dipped down to 346 packs. And even though they're they're no longer on sale and they did disclose that the 346 packs are sold, they don't have an image of any of the stickers or who's in that particular pack. So even when the pack is like not on sale anymore and they'll tell you this is how many we're going to print up, it's like they just don't care. They're just like, yeah, it's going to have nine stickers. It's going to have nine stickers. And then week eight is currently on sale. Basically, it's shaping up that like Tops Now stickers are only selling about 300 to 500 packs a week. So, Which to them is nothing and it's just like them going through the motions like you're saying. Yeah, well, I mean, and as I said before, it's like if you want to make something that people are going to collect, make it something we want to collect, like inspire us, right? Like I was inspired with the book to try to complete the book, but now that there's no book and it's the same design as last year and odds are harder in getting a gold sticker and and they're not even bothering with the retro stickers, yeah, there's no point to it. It just seems like, look, if you collected a set, if you collected artifacts last year, and then this year's artifact looked exactly like last year's set, you'd probably be like, why do I want to buy that set? I just bought it, right? It looks the same. Like, the design's it's, the same. It's kind of a bad example, because Artifacts generally does look the same almost every year. No, I'm thinking, well, SP Authentic. S- no, SPA, looks- yeah. SPA yeah. always, there was that stretch of, like, four or five years where it was just white with some weird striped color down the side and it's like every year it was hard to look like it's like the two back-to-back years of mvp what was it oh six and oh seven yeah where the, where the one had the rounded shield and the other had a pointed shield and that was really the only way you could tell the difference from one year to the other yeah and i like mixed those two thinking they were the same set oh yeah people do that all the time it's easy to do or like panini's contender hockey remember that they had like the two sets that were pretty darn close in design yeah, contenders did the same thing. So, um, another set that came out recently, we got uh, President's Choice Game Used came out with a set called Vintage Paper Cuts, which is a uh, every card is a one of one. It actually features cut signatures from documents like programs, magazines, checks. I know there's a Hap Day autograph that looks like it's cut from a check. I don't know if it's his che- his paycheck or if he signed the check, uh, but it says Toronto Maple Leafs and it has his name underneath it. So it has cards of players like Art Ross, Mush March, Woody Dumart, Jim Henry. I want to say there was a Harry Lumley in there and I think there was a Rocket Richard. They're all one of one. So some of them are already sold out. I know they had like a Foster Hewitt. So they had some, you know, really interesting players or non-players but hockey people in that set oh and you know another thing i want to talk about really quick even though this isn't hockey i got my pro set football card today oh you did trevor lawrence did you order any i did not well did you get the regular one or did you get the reverse image one or did you get the gold one or it's not gold and it the 16 looks normal so i don't think it's reversed yeah there was a there was a secret reverse negative version 
And then there was also like every so many pack outs, they threw in a gold version too, I guess. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you what my gripe is with this is that I had to pay $5 shipping to ship one card. Oh, the card really? was the card was $8 and the shipping was $4.99. There was no smart post like Tops does with the stickers where if I get a sticker pack at least I'm not paying $5 to ship an $8 pack of stickers, but I had to pay $8 to ship one or sorry, excuse me, I had to pay $5 to ship one $8 card. And that was annoying to pay $13 for one football card and not to sound like um Dante from Clerks, who says, I'm not even supposed to be in this day, right? I don't even collect football cards. And I spent $13 on one. Why? Because it says Pro Set, and it looks like an 89 Pro Set football card. And yes, I did buy those cards back in the day. And yes, I actually do have a complete set of those cards. And yeah, I just wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself, right? But maybe I'm also secretly hoping that sooner or later this might be a... um a craft soft or a, a capo caco or i don't know a jack eichel i'd even take jack eichel if they made if if leaf made a pro set jack eichel card and i hated the leaf jack eichel box set but if they made a pro set jack eichel card i'd buy it so yeah i kind of want to see this football pro set succeed even though i'm probably not going to buy any of the of the football cards in the hopes that they make pro set hockey cards I think they're exclusive with Eichel's done. Yeah, it's for the better. That box set was really not that good. Uh, they, I'll, yeah, I was gonna say because Upper Deck has signed stuff and everything in their in their products now, so I imagine that's done and over with. So, um, I know we're gonna talk about Alexi Lafreniere <clears throat> in, in a little bit, but I want to talk about uh, just really quick. I saw this on Facebook today. The National Sports Collectors Convention is coming to Chicago. Well, technically Rosemont, but close to Chicago, on July 28th to August 1st. So plans are going forward with the national this year, uh, with people getting vaccinated, with the state gradually relaxing things as, as, as people get vaccinated. So this is what they said on Facebook, and I thought this was funny. Uh, they, they had a list of four things. One, we are not planning to move this year's events to Texas or Florida. Two, we're not planning to require proof of vaccination to attend. Three, we will announce autographed guests as they are confirmed by TriStar. Four, we will adhere to the guidelines provided by the state of Illinois and the city of Rosemont. So they are going to do the national, and it looks like it's going to happen. And even with um, a couple days ago, President Biden saying that they should actually be able to get more people vaccinated by May instead of July. Um, because it's been the vaccination's been going faster. They've been ordering more vaccines, and then you have the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. So all of these things are contributing to life, sort of, kind of beginning to start to at least look like it's going to get back to normal. At least for us card collectors, where you know we need to rifle through boxes of cards that a million other sets of hands have been rifling through. I'm excited. I haven't been to a card show since November of 2019. Um, I will be at the National this year selling puck junk t-shirts and probably some hockey cards. So I'm excited. Hey, we were at the last two expos. Those were technically card shows. Oh, yeah, that's true. I'm sorry. The virtual expos, yes. No, they weren't in person, but, you know. Well, I didn't get to rifle through boxes of cards, but I had a blast doing those. 
Yes. I, I have I have mixed feelings about this. I don't know. I, I go down that path of all spectrum. Like I flip I flip around. It's like as I'm going down that path, I'm constantly spinning. Like it's a tube and I'm going around and around because I, I keep coming back to the same place. But I have mixed feelings on this because I'm like, okay, so we're still going forward with the national. National is the biggest card show. Well, the biggest memorabilia and sports period show of the year. Yeah. Yep. So you have the dealers, you have the collectors, you have manufacturers, you have autograph guests, you have, you know, vendors, you have distributors, you, pretty much anybody who's anybody involved in any aspect of the hobby, not just hockey, but all across the board is there at some point or involved in some some aspect of it. So here's this huge show that you know, you didn't have it last year. You moved it around. We're bringing it to Chicago again, which it's there every other year anyway. But it's coming off of this whole time frame where social distance, wear a mask, all of this kind of stuff. And now we're going to take this whole thing. It's going to go one of two ways. It's going to be like a ho-hum kind of thing where, yeah, there were people, but it wasn't like a big blowout like it's been some years. Or... And this is where I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking is going to happen because the hobby has blown up so much over the last 15 months. And so many more people are now back into the hobby or have joined the hobby. You have that many more people that are going to be interested in something like this. And you have that many more people that have also been stuck in their houses not going out, not going places, not spending necessarily money on trips and vacations and all of that kind of stuff. Wanting to come and descend on Rosemont. And I feel like that's what's going to happen. So even though like we always go to the Chicago shows and we meet up and meet other collectors there and stuff, and we usually have a great time. You know, I might only be there one of the days, but we always have a good time when we go. I think this might turn into one of the biggest shows. And I don't know what they're going to do as far as what the rules are going to be at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Like we have to still do social distancing and all of that kind of stuff. Because if that's the case, then they're going to only be able to let so many people in at a time. Right. I mean, they're going to have to regulate it. And yeah, it's a huge freaking place because it's at the, at the convention center. But at the same time, I mean, there's only so many people you can have in there at once. Or, hold on, hold, hold that thought for just a second, because I will say this. Back in the midnight, early and mid-90s, when they used to have the Chicago Comic Con, which became Wizard World Chicago, which then, again, became the Chicago Comic Con, they would actually have two exhibition halls open. You know, the one that we usually go in, where you go down, like, the three steps, and then you're in? But then there's another one all the way across, like if yeah. you go past the escalators. The one that's a, up, the one that's upstairs is where they always have the sports spectacular, the Chicago sports spectacular. Right, but they have two. The one downstairs is the one where they always do the national in the big room because they can open up that other section where they always put the autograph pavilion. Yep. And they so that's basically two halls stuck together. Um, right. Well, with the comic show, what they would do is they would do. Uh, there'd be one hall, like the, the, the big one, and then there'd be the other one if you go not up the escalator, but past the escalator. There's another hall that way. 
Oh, on so the other have, side. Okay. Yes, on the other side of the ground floor. So it is possible. I mean, that's how big the show that that comic show used to be, yeah. and it was only second only to San Diego Comic Con in size. I'm wondering if the border will be reopened by then, because as a hockey person, I want to see hockey collectors. And I know there's a lot of stateside hockey collectors, but there's also a lot of hockey collectors in Canada. And those are the, you know, that's what I'm hoping for. Um, I remember a couple uh, years ago when there was a national uh, back in uh, 2019, me and a couple other hockey collectors couple guys who had a table set up there we did a hockey trade night and it was awesome it was a small turnout like 30 people but everybody there was like 10 out of 10 when it came to hockey like just like passionate yeah. right hardcore yeah hardcore right and sometimes it's not how many people show up it's who shows up right so as a hockey collector i always Quality love it over when, quantity yes so yeah, so I'm I'm curious to know what would happen. I think it's going to be the latter. I think I don't think it's going to be a whole hum thing. I think you're going to get people who are going to say, "Hey, I like baseball cards again, and I'm going to go to the show because yeah. there's a show." And oh my god, I haven't been to a baseball card show since I was 14, and now there's a big one in Chicago. Let's go. Or I live here, you know what I mean? Or I live within reasonable driving distance. That's what exactly what I'm saying. It's either going to be like, eh, or well, we didn't really have the turnout like we wanted, or it's going to be like over-the-top craziness. And that's kind of what I am foreseeing, is the over-the-top craziness. Because it's like, oh my God, we, we're out of the house. Yeah, let's go nuts. PSA. Raising their like prices. Public service announce? Oh, that PSA. Yes. Uh, that's professional sports authentication. So... Uh, is that what that stands for? I don't think I ever knew what PSA stood for or ever cared to look it up. So, you know, it's funny. As soon as I started flirting with the idea of getting some cards graded, they raised their prices. Because I was like, yeah, I have a top Gretzky rookie. I have about nine Mario Lemieux rookies between tops and OPG. I've got a bunch of pro set Stanley Cup holograms from 1990, 91. Yeah, did you see some of the sale prices lately on those? Yeah, this is making me think, well, maybe I don't need seven Stanley Cup holograms. Maybe I can part with one or two, but maybe I should get one graded and then sell it, right? And so I start flirting with the idea of getting some cards graded, and then they double their price. They're $10 Price is now a $20 price. And I'm like, damn it. I was even willing to wait until like June to get my cards back or July. But yeah. So PSA raises their prices because they can, because everybody's grading their cards in a hurry because they want to cash in on this. And so, yeah, it's like, well, well. people want us to grade their cards so we're going to grade their cards but it's going to cost money well the psa announcement came out like a week or two ago and in the in the meantime some of the other companies have raised their prices as well but look i'm not a grading guy i don't send things in for grading because i have my thoughts which we've discussed and so people that know me and have listened to our shows and, and all that kind of stuff they kind of know my opinion on the whole thing but here, here's my here's my thought on the PSA raising their prices. Collectors have overextended themselves 
with this grading thing. They really have. And they've overextended themselves to the point where all they're doing is sending in everything under the sun because they think they can make a buck on it on the turn. That's part of the problem. In the last few weeks before this price announcement, PSA was getting like 10,000 orders being keyed into their system on a daily basis. The backlog is enormous. People are waiting a year to get some of their cards back at the various service levels. It's to the point where they can't handle it anymore. So, I mean, simple math will tell you if they were getting that many orders a day, you come up with whatever you think the minimum or not the minimum, but what the average order included and how many cards were in there and multiply that by 10,000 a day. I mean, 150,000, 200,000, 300,000. Well, I, I don't know what that number is. order had to have like 10 in order to get a certain price break. Okay, so even if every order had 10. So that's 10 times 10,000. So you're talking 100,000 cards a day. Mm-hmm. No one can keep up with that backlog. And the crazy part is the majority of what they're getting is like new stuff. It's brand new stuff. And... And yeah, we're a hockey podcast. People aren't grading hockey cards. I'm sorry, they're not. If if it doesn't say Alexei Lafreniere, young gun, and come from the 2021 set, or a McDavid, or the occasional Crosby rookie that hasn't already been graded, nobody's grading hockey cards. They're grading basketball and Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. That's pretty much where the bulk of this from and it, it's all this ultra modern stuff you know and and that's what's being submitted and everyone's submitting the same stuff i mean how many luis robert is that his name luis robert from the white mm-hmm. Sox? how many of those freaking cards have been submitted and i see people posting all the time oh this is a 10 this is a nine this is this I'm like come on it's just the same stuff recycled over and over and over again. Everybody's trying to get rich quick off of all of this because it's they're they're hitting because that's what the market is and they want to see this turn. Is that market going to be the same a year from now? Because that's when you're going to get your stuff back. Stop sending in stuff that has no business being sent in. I mean, really. And we've talked about it on here before. Look at the population counts of a lot of classic cards within the hockey realm and see what things are selling for and see what the actual population reports are on some of these cards. You know, you look at perfect example, 8990 tops. And we've talked about that set numerous times before great rookie cards in there, right? You got Brian Leach in there. You got Joe Sackick in there. You got, um, you know, various, if you go with the Opeachy, you got those various award winner cards and stuff at the end that people forget about. I've seen some of these come back with high grades. They're not selling for more than a few hundred bucks because there are, and there aren't that many. If you actually look at the overall population count compared to some of the other things, there's only a hundred, 200 of -hmm. some of these graded that are even coming in at a 10, you know, maybe more at a nine, but people just aren't sending them in. That's why it's not that there aren't that many tens. There's just, Nobody's sending them in. It's junk wax era stuff. But now people are sending all this stuff in from that era and and also current. It's so crazy. So it's like, I don't want to say PSA is doing everyone a favor by doing this because it did piss a lot of people off. But I think 
They're helping control surplus population. If if you know what I'm saying. So by raising the price, they're basically making people think twice about what cards they send in. Yeah, exactly right. So this is going to prevent people from sending in, like, say, Pro Set. Like, I actually recently watched a Mike Madano 9091 Pro Set rookie card. It was being sold by PWCC. Uh, it was graded a PSA 10. And I want to say it went for, like, $45, $50, like somewhere in that range. And I'm just thinking, ah, I got like 100 of that card. I'll sell you one for 10 It's not graded, but, it, you know, that's cheaper than 50 bucks, right? But, like, somebody had to think, hey, this price. But a year card... ago, we'd be pulling that out of a $0.25 cent quarter box. Yep. So here's a quarter card. Not a graded you... one, but yes. Not a graded one, no. But here's a quarter one that you look at and you think, oh, it looks centered. It's nice corners, everything. I'm going to send this into grade. Really? You paid a quarter for it. And you're going to pay how much to have it graded? I mean, the cheapest now would be 20 bucks. Right. But you're not going to send one card because the minimum order is higher than that. So you have to send in at least 10. So you got to find nine other cards to go with it, pay for the shipping, shipping. and then sit there and wait for another year before you get it back. Really? All that for a quarter card to turn around and make 40 bucks off of it? Yeah, I mean, and you're 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 now investing like thirty dollars to get that yeah. card graded, and that's why I just don't understand. Like, I understand that. Like, I mean, I've bought graded cards before for like next to nothing. I have like a, I have like a Curtis Joseph OPG Premier rookie card. I want to say it's graded at like a nine, and I want to say I paid a couple bucks for it, like four dollars. Just because, like, well, it's Cujo, and it's four bucks, and it's graded, and it looks kind of nice in the holder. And I want to say I got, like, a Hashek that was maybe graded eight, which is, like, what, near mint plus? It was a Hashek 91-92 upper deck rookie card. And I want to say I want to say I spent, like, two or four dollars on that as well. And it's just because it just looked cool, you know what I mean? But, like, the guy who sold them to me was a dealer, and he was somebody who bought a collection off of somebody. But, like, the guy who sold all those cards to the dealer didn't make back his money on getting those cards graded, even from 10 years ago when the prices were cheaper. So I guess that's just the thing, though. It's like every time I think about, like, saying, oh, I should send in my Evgeny Malkin Young Guns to get graded. And then I think about it, and I go, all right, well, I get them graded, and I spend 30 bucks a card if you count in the shipping and stuff. And then I get them back and they're graded maybe nines. Nines or nine fives, maybe even nine fives. I don't know. But like, well, but then not for you PSA, say, you're not going to get a nine five. They don't do the half grades. Okay. So probably a PSA nine because they'd be mint because, you know, they've been well cared for all these years since I got them out of the packs. But like, you know, so then what a card that maybe sells for a couple hundred dollars sells for maybe a little more or maybe a lot more. I don't know. It just, well, it's, you look at it this way. Most of the time when something's a 10, let's say a card sells for a thousand dollars out of 10 Yep. at a nine, it's disproportionately less in most cases, if you look at it. Right. So if, if a 10 is selling for a thousand dollars, the nine is probably going for maybe 600. If you're lucky, I've seen it dip as low as 400 even. And there's that big of a drop off. And then you, you go from there. And most of the time, once you get to an eight or a seven, especially for modern cards, many times is no different than just a raw card selling. Right, exactly. So, so if I'm going to sell point, my Malkin rookies, point? I might as well just sell them raw. Yeah. So what's the, yeah? It's what's the point? So you're rolling the dice, and and again, 
trading cards are gambling, especially if you open packs. But that's also gambling. Now, there's plenty of people out there that consider themselves experts and can clean a card up and make it look all nice and boost the grade maybe somewhat. But how many of the average collectors spend all of the time going through the process of making every card as pristine as possible before it gets shipped off? I mean, it's a huge process. And and again, it's not, I mean, it's, it's not for me. I get it, but I call this the PSA autocorrect is really what this is. Mm -hmm. It's them doing their own version of a market correction, but not for that reason. I mean, really they're trying to cut down on this backlog. They're trying to stop people from sending them garbage to grade and wasting their time so they can get to the things that actually, for lack of, a better phrase, deserve to be graded. That's my two cents. And I think any other grading companies that have adjusted their prices, or they're facing the same things. You know, SGA raised their prices. You know, the new the new kid on the block, HGA, that's taken a lot of crap and under the microscope for every little mistake they've made and didn't help their case going after PSA on the price hike on their social media and didn't really, the optics of it looked kind of bad. I mean, everybody has been on there. Oh, check these out. These are awesome. They have colored labels that are color-coded to match the card. And Yeah, it's cool, but again, what's the resale value? Who's getting the highest? PSA. So people are going to send to PSA. As long as PSAs keep selling for higher, they're going to get the bulk of the orders. Beckett comes in second. So BGSs, they're going to get the next segment and so on and so forth down the line. So new kids on the block that are trying to break into the grading card market, regardless of what other gimmick they're offering. You know, the latest was HGA talking about they have this advanced AI that they use. Well, it's all computer grading. They're using computerized grading, which I think is how it should be. Take Take the subjectivity of what a card actually is from a centering and and all of that kind of standpoint, let a computer do it. I mean, it seems to make sense to me. I don't care if you're a professional grader. Honestly, I would trust the computer system that's set up to measure things within a fraction of a fraction of a percent than the human eye that's looking at something that, or, you know, your your dog dog got hit by a car that morning and you're pissed off, so everything you're grading is going to get a six because you're angry. Like I said, that's that's just my that's just one one angry get off my lawn guy's opinion. But you know what are you gonna do? Well, in the interest of time, I'd like to skip to Alexei Lafreniere if you're okay with that. To skip to him, sure. So. uh it's about halfway through the season, and uh, as of this recording, uh, Alexi Lafreniere has played 23 games. He has four goals, three assists for seven points. He's a minus six. He has two penalty minutes. Last five games he's played, he's averaged between 14 and 18 minutes of uh, ice time. Now, his rookie card, when it debuted in November, mid-November, when Upper Deck Series 1 hit stores, hit retail, hit hobby shops and whatnot, the young gun was selling for $600. That's just where people started it at. Like, it didn't even climb to $600. That's just where people put it, and I saw people buying now for $600. And I said, I ain't paying no $600 for that card. I'm going to wait and see. I mean, for a guy who never played an NHL game at that point, I wasn't going to pay 600 for his 
young gun. And the card, a risk. It's, it's a, a huge, huge risk. risk. And yep. the card just progressively went lower and lower and lower and lower and lower in price. And I ended up buying one off of eBay from another another collector who had two of them, and he sold me one. And now, what does a young gun, an Alexi Lafreniere young gun rookie card sell for? Not graded, because graded is kind of all over the map as well. But uh, just over the last couple of days, it seems to be selling for between $130 to $215. Which, if you think about it, that's a really big jump. Because you might look at a certain card and go, eh, it's a $100 card, right? That's a $200 card. That's a $500 card, right? Like, we kind of have in our mind, like, that's a quarter card. That's a dollar card. Yeah, that's a good $10 card, right? Like, we kind of have things kind of broken down in our minds, like, what tier they're at. But if you think about it, $130 to $215. And, I mean, I've seen some examples higher than that. Um, I've even seen some young guns go for less than $130. But... You know, it's 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 kind of settled between this like one hundred and two hundred dollar sweet spot. Part of what yeah, and moved... the vast majority it seems like are coming in under the two hundred dollar spot. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean, and if you look at even the graded versions, and yes, there are graded versions out there already. Um, even though the card's only been out since November, somehow someone's getting their orders from PSA and and whatnot back, but. You know, I saw a PSA 9 sold for about 400 and there was a, I want to say there was like a, a Beckett nine and a half that had two um, subgrade, 210 subgrades on it. It went for mm-hmm. like, I don't think it was two, I don't think it even ended at 250. I think it was like 240 something. And I think a PSA 10 went for like 800. So we're not even talking thousand bucks here for supposedly the, well, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but you know, the guy that's supposed to be that generational player jumping in and making that big of a big of an impact right off right out of the box, especially considering how much heat he had right off the bat. Like you said, it was four hundred to six hundred bucks right out of the gate. And you're just like, What? What is happening? So now I mean, is this more realistic for a guy like this? Maybe. I mean, in years past, there's always been that one or two guys that float around that eighty to hundred dollar range. Sometimes push a little higher than that. So I don't. I mean, I don't know. I know what's going on, but it blows my mind everything that's happened up to this point. Like you kind of knew this was going to happen, and you said all along it was going to happen, and we all did. Yet. Here we are, and here we're at that point, and you got people shrugging their shoulders, going, "What happened? This guy must suck. He, I mean, he's awful." Well, look at look at his prices. I'm getting out of this, and you got people. I think this might be fear dumping. This could be what this is, because so many people went after this card and tried to get this card, and the appearance that there's that many out there being snatched up, right, and put on the secondary market for sale. I mean, if you look at the overall sales on these since the product came out, it's ridiculous the amount of times this car has been bought and sold. If you if you just look on I mean if you just take eBay. It's 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 insanity. I mean if you just type in Alexei Lafreniere young gun and do a search for completed auctions or for sold auctions even, 
just your results now is over 4,000. And granted, yes, yeah, some of those are clear cut. Some of them are the canvas and some of them are the oversize and, you know, some are graded, some aren't. So yeah, you're going to get the whole gambit of everything that fits that category. But the fact that there's 4,000, over 4,000 examples of that just on there now, that's just between, what what does it show on there? What is, what is the eBay search function show? Like the last... 10 days last 14 days uh what? it goes back pretty far it, it depends on how many I mean, you could change yeah you can change the thing but if you just do by like ended recently i think it's only like the last week or two i'm just well, talking no, in I mean, that like, search no no no. but what i'm saying is with ebay if there is something that there's not a lot of you know like some like when i sell some of like my more rare toys um, on eBay, I might find, you know, results from like four or five months ago because there aren't too many examples of this. Looking at Lafreniere, I'm already at page 14. I just searched for him. And I mean, page 14, 15 per page. So this is already like uh, 500, 700 results just between February 25th and now. Now that's not everything. That's just, or that's not just young guns. That's just searching for Alexei Lafreniere. So that's also pulling up some of his other cards that have sold, like his jumbo young guns, which is going for around forty to sixty dollars. Uh, his artifacts rookie cards, which seem to be going for around fifty to a hundred and fifty, depending on if it has a piece of jersey or not, if it's numbered, how high numbered it is, what parallel it is, whatever. His Parkhurst rookie, which is going for like twenty to twenty-five dollars. Oh, and his tops now hockey sticker, which is going for uh, a svelte six to ten dollars. And he's got a couple of uh stickers already. So I mean he's got stuff on there and I think that's another thing too is like when a player only has one rookie card, everybody goes for that one rookie card. But if you're a Rangers fan and you say, you know, I don't want to spend $200 on his young gun, eh, but I'll spend 20 bucks on his Parker rookie, right? And then you're done. That's kind of like what it was with like with me and Sidney Crosby. I couldn't afford his upper deck young gun, but I completed an 0506 Parkhurst set, which had him and Ovechkin and all those other great players that we mentioned earlier um it's funny you bring so, up the parkhurst one in the fact that there's there's that many of those floating around out there already parkhurst just came out on the 5th of march so it hasn't been out that long and remember parkhurst is a retail only product you can get it in fat packs and blasters and if i'm not mistaken it was a walmart exclusive right yeah i believe so maybe it's in Meyer too but I think in the past, it's always been a Walmart exclusive. And there's already people just yanking those Lafreniere cards out of there. Uh. So just like they did with Connor McDavid and just like they did with Sidney Crosby, Upper Deck is going to milk Alexei Lafreniere for all that they can. Maybe the only difference is that there was something backing up the hype with McDavid and there was something backing up the hype with Crosby. And we're both agreeing that yeah, Lafreniere is—he's—he's he's not a bust. He's just having a slow rookie season. It might take him a couple seasons to really, season or two to mature and become the player that uh, everyone thinks he's destined to become. But well, in the last two um, weeks of actually watching him play, you can see he looks totally different 
right now than he did with the beginning of the season. The beginning of the season, he looked lost. Like, right. he looked like, what is this place? Where am I? I don't understand what's going on. I think he's finally caught up and he gets it now. And he's starting, you're starting to see that because, you know, you read off those stats. Most of those points have been in the last six, seven games. Yes. So, I mean, that's, that's when he's finally turned it on. So, yeah, I mean, it takes a while to adapt. It most certainly does, especially when you're coming from, you know, junior level to the big show right off the bat. I mean, the game speed alone is astronomically different. So, so speaking of junior, just want to throw this out there really quick. Now, this was reported a while ago, but I just want to bring it up because I think it's worth mentioning, is that a woman was arrested in connection with fake Alexei Lafreniere hockey cards. So a 50-year-old, 54-year-old woman in Quebec City was selling bogus Lafreniere cards on eBay for $100 each. These cards depict him as a player from the Quebec International Pee Wee Hockey Tournament in 2013. Now, the Quebec International Pee Wee Hockey Tournament does issue cards every year, but they said, this is not a card that we issued. And so I think what's interesting is if you think about like a couple months ago, I think it was earlier over the summer, you had somebody who was... um, selling Zion rated rookie cards. They weren't actually Donruss cards. They were just fake cards that had the rated rookie markings on them, and they were of Zion and other popular NBA rookies. And Panini America went after them and basically took them to court and said, no, you can't do this. You can't use our trademarks. And, you know, on top of that, I mean, if they have the exclusive to NBA cards, they don't want somebody else making NBA cards, right, because they have the exclusive so I think it's interesting that you're seeing this crackdown on this, I don't even call it a gray area. Because, you know, if I sell fake Wayne Gretzky cards and I'm making money off of it, that means somebody else isn't making money off of that. And I mean, that's a big no-no now. You know, like the example I tell my students, if you take a picture and you put it on your website and it's for a class and you're talking about that person Mm, okay, you could consider it educational use. But it, once you print it on a t-shirt and sell it, then it becomes a problem, right? And I'm not saying that people can't make anything a problem because anybody can make anything a problem if they want to. And if they have money that they can throw at lawyers and say, hey, sue this guy because I just want to mess with him, not because he's necessarily doing anything that's wrong. But it's interesting to hear about somebody selling fake Lafreniere cards. I mean, you remember that fake Gretzky card in the 90s. Well, lots of fake cards in the 90s, but the fake Gretzky card that showed him as an Indianapolis racer, right? Nobody got sued over that. It was just kind of like a fun card that kind of circulated. And we go, eh, it's kind of, it's fake, but it's kind of neat. I'll pay a buck for it. And that was like the end of it, right? And it's not like that anymore. That was the Wild West back then. Anybody that had a decent printer could be churning out whatever they wanted. Yeah, and if I had access to that technology, I totally would have been doing that at the time, but I was 15 at the time, so I would have still been <laughs> in that gray area. It's interesting, when, when we first like talked about this on the show and talked about the, I don't want to call it a fake card, it's a, it's a real card, it's an actual card, but it's an unauthorized one. You know, when we first talked about it and we were like, well, police are looking for anybody that knows anything about this card because they were all over eBay and... We had talked about it in a show and it took, it only took that long for them to 
find the person and arrest the person that did it. So, I mean, that was probably less than a month, I would think. Maybe a month and a half. So, you know, that tells you how front and center the hobby is and in, in people's faces. They found this lady, shut her down, and cuffed her. So... Hmm. So, getting back to... Not uh, that it was because of us or anything, but I'll take credit for it. Take all the credit you want. Doesn't mean people will give it to you. That's right. Tell that to Uh, my wife, too. So, um, speaking of real cards, though, so again, kind of taking this for all it's worth, um, Upper Deck is going to be issuing a set, uh, an Alexei Lafreniere collection. Uh, It's a box set that's uh, slated to come out April 14th of 2021. It's going to have 26 cards. It is. Uh, it, it reminds me of a couple other sets in history. Um, of course, there was the Sidney Crosby sensational beginning set from 0506. And then in 2015-16, there was the Connor McDavid collection. So Upper Deck definitely has a history of saying, yeah, this is the number one draft pick. And not only are we going to like market the hell out of our Series 1 product to get people to buy it, but uh, we're going to also put this player in as much as we can, including their own boxed set of cards. Yeah, and it's all about your company you're trying to make money. I mean, that's the bottom line here, right? The bottom line is the dollars and cents. And if it's going gonna, it's gonna to make money and it's going to sell product, then of course you're going to go after that. And what better way to capitalize on it than go after the biggest hyped player there is? And mm-hmm. in this market, it's Lafreniere. In 0506, it was Crosby. In you know 15, 16, it was McDavid. So, you know, having these sets and everything else, it's nothing new. Um, it'll be interesting to see how these get packed out and how they're going to be sold. If it's going to be a retail thing or a hobby thing, or both, maybe. Um, Probably going to be hobby. Yeah, I would think so too. And it's twenty. Was it twenty five cards plus an extra 26. card? Twenty six. Yeah. A, I think there's an extra card supposedly in the box that's either like a gold version of something or a highlight like card or award maybe. winner card or something like that. I, I haven't seen a checklist for it yet. I don't know if they actually come out with one. Not yet, no. Um, I'm, I'm hoping since when we talked with uh, Upper Deck last week and finding out how long it actually takes to put out a release, I'm going to guess these are probably going to be more of the rookie photo shoot pictures, maybe some that we haven't seen yet. Probably some early game action pictures, maybe. Maybe even I, some junior pictures. I don't know. I hope so. But see, the the thing that I did not like about the uh, the McDavid set and the Crosby set, if I remember correctly, now I don't have them in front of me, so I which Crosby leave. set are we talking about? Uh, the, the box phenom- set. The phenomenal beginnings box set. Sensational beginnings. I think it's all oh, sensation. It's, no, was that what it was called? Yeah, and then there was Diary of a Phenom. Okay. I thought it was phenomenal beginnings. Yeah, maybe. Whatever. So the Crosby <laughs> boxed set that came in a rectangular box. Like, yeah. It was like, so these sets just kind of come out like during the player's rookie year when they haven't even like finished their rookie season. I mean, like one of the Crosby cards was like Lemieux and Crosby play together and Lemieux assists on a, like one assists on the other one's goal or maybe they both assisted on the same goal and it's just like okay well that's nice but like see the the problem I had with the the McDavid set and the Crosby set is I wanted more of like going back all the way to the beginning like 
who did this really well? The 1992 Pinnacle Eric Lindros Road to the NHL set. It was a 30-card box set that had pictures from, like, Junior A and Major Junior and, like, Canada. And it even had a picture of the NHL draft where he refused to put on the Nordiques jersey. He's just holding it, like, in his hand. Like, he doesn't want to even, like, touch it. It's called Road to the NHL. And it just, it, it has, like, all the steps on how he got there. I have a hard time, like, yeah, it's a it's a box set of Sidney Crosby cards, and all the pictures are from the first half of the 0506 season. Whoop-de-doo. You know, it's a Connor McDavid box set, but it's just pictures from the first third of the 15-16 season. Yay. You know what I mean? Like, it just it doesn't yeah, do for me. I, I know what you're saying, and I think that boils down to the licensing of the photography, really. Yes. Among anything else, because you know, back then, it was like, oh, you took a picture of this, I'll buy it for it be for twenty bucks. Okay, here you go, and then, you know, off they went, producing it in mass and putting it into a card release. I think it's it's totally different now, with how the how the licensing works and how correct copyright yeah um, when it comes to photography. Well, but I then you also have to part of the problem. You also have to get the rights, like, so if you're showing a player, like. If you show them with the Ramuski Oceanic, right, you got to get the CHL rights, you got to get the team rights, you got to get the rights from the photograph, right? Everybody's going to want to get money for that, right? So then that's outside of the league license of like, well, we have an NHL and an NHLPA license. So, you know, that covers all the Rangers stuff, right? right. So it's just going to be kind of like, you know, from like the draft day forward, right? Like, because we can show the Rangers jersey, so that's what we're going to show, but... Yeah, maybe we're not going to show... Oh, they could probably show Team Canada because they have the license to that. And Upper Deck has a CHL license. So, I mean, they could make it happen. So, who knows? This might actually be interesting because... Interesting in the fact that they have Team Canada license, they have the NHLPA license, they have the NHL license, and they have the Canadian Hockey League license. So, a really cool set of cards would maybe go all the way back to the beginning of Alexei Lafreniere's life. Like, I think of, like, the 82-83 Wayne Gretzky set that was put out by Nielsen's Chocolate, right, that had, like, a picture of a six-year-old Gretzky as, like, one of the first cards. And then you have a picture of Gretzky at, like, 10 years old, like, in his hockey uniform, right? And, like, from, like, the very various stages of his career. That's cool, you know? I don't need 20 cards of the guy on the Rangers... I want 20 cards, one from each year of his life or each year that he played hockey or something, you know, like, you know, here he is four years old on, on his skates. Okay. That's cool. You know, I want to see that the little guy six or seven years old on his team. That's awesome. That makes me want to buy a box set. Cause then I'm thinking about hockey for its historical or hockey cards for its historical value and not just like, Oh, it's 30 cards or 20 cards of a player and they're going to be worth money someday. Yeah. Um, Sorry, kind of hard to top that, I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... Or follow that. Yeah, and again, it it will be interesting to see what what photos they use. I was kind of curious to see what was going to be on some of his other cards and the the subsequent releases that came out after Series 1, and it's kind of like they're following that same thing. And they didn't even think they were going to get photos, and let alone be able to use them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, now we're at that point. So, 
those products that were made and already done and ready to be you know put out they only had so many to choose from i mean now that the season's gone on i'm sure there's plenty more that they have available to them but it's like stuff's already been put in production and it's probably already done so any subsequent product that comes out you know we're probably going to be still having those other photos and, and everything else so but you're right it would be kind of cool to have kind of a retrospective type thing to follow along because again he is uh, probably one of the most hyped up players we've had since mcdavid i would say right i don't i can't think of a year in between that we've had somebody that's just been like this guy's gonna be awesome i mean last year austin Macau- matthews Maybe Austin Matthews. But, I mean, he didn't get the same, like, hype from Upper Deck because he was no, playing he in Toronto and not, like, a major U.S. city. I mean, Toronto's hockey center of the world, if you want to call it that. But, like... He's also an American player. Yeah, I know. Kind of weird, right? Maybe some bias there. I don't know. Now, imagine if he ended up on the Rangers. If Matthews ended up on the Rangers, I think they would have run with that. Maybe. But again, we don't have something to compare it to because, well, you got Lafreniere now, you have McDavid, you have Crosby. None of them are American. Two of them are on American teams. So I don't know. Maybe True. It's, maybe it's not biased. Maybe we're just making. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm making controversy where it doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, I'm perfect to be in the media then. Huh. So, yeah, I mean. And going back to like the start of the conversation, am I calling him a bust? No. Are you calling him a bust? I don't think you are. Sounds like you are, but I don't think you are. I'm just kidding. But really, when it boils down to it, yeah, we got all these different things that we're dealing with. We have COVID era, not era, but we have this year that's been shortened and all messed up and everything's screwy and everything else. So unfortunately, he has to deal with that. He had no, there was really no off season. You know, there was no, preseason there was no getting to to know your your teammates and and being able to practice and figuring all that out so it's taken him a while to get his get his legs under him you look at his stats what they are now and they're fairly pedestrian i mean he's not even in the top 10 of rookies right now right now but he's moving up the he's moving up you know you go back and try to do this comparison from a card standpoint and, and why he's not getting the traction well i mean if you just look at stats alone i mean Crosby, is he a Hall of Famer? Of course he's going to be a Hall of Famer. McDavid, just on his body of work right now, yeah, he doesn't have any cups, but is he a Hall of Famer? Yeah, I would pretty much say, mm-hmm. you know, from what he's done is is going to be Hall of Fame worthy. But look at his rookie year. I mean, McDavid's rookie year was cut short. He only played in 45 games. He had 48 points in 45 games. I mean, go back to Crosby. Crosby played in all but one game that year. Right. He had 102 points in his rookie season. 102 points. That was like fifth best all time. We, yeah, right out of the box, he was who he was. And it just developed from there. You know, McDavid, right out of the box, he was who he was. Unfortunately, he got hurt. Well, Lafreniere wasn't who he was right out of the box. He's slowly getting there, I think, and he'll probably get there. So these $100, $200 young guns that were $600. I don't know that they're going to go back up to $600, at least in the short term. But I think you might see them reach those levels if he pulls off a couple seasons of 
maybe leading the team in scoring, maybe putting up, you know, award nominated type seasons for various things. I mean, look, he's playing on a team that's it, it's it's built around the idea of a rebuild, but there's really good players on that team. And like Zabenejad hasn't been playing up to snuff like he like he did last year. So that he's having a down year and Panarin's been hurt. So, you know, if you could get those guys back going, just imagine how much more help he might have and could push those numbers, I guess. So uh, one last thing I want to talk about uh, with uh, Alexei Lafreniere and Upper Deck is so Upper Deck signed, uh, excuse me, Upper Deck is selling signed Alexei Lafreniere memorabilia. So, uh, if you want a, a whole puck, mess of it, if you want a puck signed by Alexei Lafreniere, well, that's going to cost you six hundred to seven hundred dollars. You want a signed photo, six hundred to eight hundred dollars. You want a signed jersey, uh, eleven hundred to fifteen hundred dollars. So, I mean, it looks like, not without looking at the price. I mean, this sounds like Gretzky money to me, but <laughs> I mean, wow, that's a lot for a signed puck from a guy who's played 23 NHL games. I get it that these things cost money, but wow. $600 for a signed puck. UDA stuff is always more. It just is. So the same the same products that they would have versus somebody else, UDA is always going to have a higher, higher number on it. Right. Whether that's because it's certified or whatever it may be, it just is. Is it... More superior product depends on how you feel. Do they put out good stuff? Yeah, they do. I agree with you. I think that's a little excessive, maybe, for now. If he does somehow turn the season into something profitable and is able to become one of the top two, three rookies for the year, and they don't raise the price, it might be a little more palatable maybe right but yeah i i agree i would agree that the bulk of the percentage of that price is the, is the hype yes i will agree with that yeah it is there's some nice stuff they have for sale don't get me wrong there i mean it's cool stuff any man cave or shrine to sports that you'd have in your house to put some of that stuff up on you know, it's all wall hanger type things. It's really cool. Really cool stuff. Yep. Not for uh, not for me, but it's for someone, that's for sure. But you do have a pretty cool UDA item, though. Oh, yeah, but I won that. You're talking uh, about the yeah. giant Gretzky blow-up card. We have one here, too, that my wife won. The uh, signed glove? Yeah, we have a, a Alex Petrangelo autographed glove. Not game-worn, but... It's autographed nonetheless. I have yet to see find a single picture of him wearing that brand glove. So you so, don't think it's game-worn? I guarantee it's not game-worn. I don't know if the COA even says it's game-worn. It's still cool, though. It's a Reebok glove, but he doesn't use Reebok. Even now that he's on Vegas, he still doesn't use Reebok. But it's still cool. I have it in one of those football holders. Yeah, well, that'd be the right size for a glove. Perfect. You know, it's perfect. one time I was at a uh, I was at a used bookstore and 
I uh, I asked a guy, do you have any hockey books? And he's like, oh, yeah, they'd be over there. And he goes, oh, you're a hockey fan. He's like, I have a hockey skate signed by Bobby Hall. Would you like to buy it? I said, well, I'd like to see it. He goes, okay, well, let me go in the back and go get it. And he brings it back out. That's just like totally random. Right. Well, it gets I'm better. looking for a book about hockey. Yeah, they're over there. Oh, by the way, I've got this skate. Like, how does that even come up? That's just weird. A hockey skate signed by Bobby Hall. So he goes to get it. And he brings it back and he goes, oh, I'm sorry, it's not a it's not a hockey skate, it's actually a hockey glove. I go, oh, well, let's see it. And he holds it up, and it was a goalie trapper glove. But it was like an old timey kind that looked like a like a, a like a like a catcher's mitt, like leather, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like something that like like a Tony Esposito or maybe more like a Glenn Hall would have worn. And it was signed like right on the hand. It's a nice, big, beautiful autograph, but I looked at it. I'm like, you know, Bobby Hull made a career of shooting around that glove and not into it. So it just seemed really weird. Like, whoever got that signed by him, like, here, Mr. Bobby Hull, please sign this goalie glove for me. I mean, it just, that's like the last thing I would have gotten the Golden Jet to sign. It's just such a random thing. And it was just like, I, I didn't buy it, obviously, but it was just like, Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. We all know how frequently he does sign though. So I mean yes. somebody shoved something in front of his face, he put his autograph on it. Which right. is really weird. If I was Bobby Hall and somebody gave me a goalie glove to sign, I'd be like, Are you serious? <laughs> I mean well, that be like, that would be my opinion. I'd be like, What? <laughs> what is this? I've never seen it because my shot was so fast it just hit the net before the goalie could even raise his hand, you know? really strange that somebody would, yeah that's weird that somebody would get that signed yeah so you you getting a glove that wasn't worn by the player but signed by the player it it happens yeah that it's like i don't know what i can compare that to it's like getting eddie van halen to sign a drumstick it makes no sense it makes no sense R.I.P. Eddie Van Halen. Yes. All right. Well, on that somber note, I think we will end this podcast. So, as always, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk. Puck Junk.